We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we are once again recording remotely. Remote podcasting, Chris, you hate it. I do hate it, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that our listeners know about it because we've said it in the last two shows, and they know we do all three shows in one night. It's amazing. No, I like bringing it up because I know how much it annoys you. Yeah. It's annoying. <laughs> do you think that it's harder to corral me like as we drink more beer and as I come forth? Because usually as we release these, I get drunker over the course of the evening. Do you find that it's harder to rein me in when I'm not in the room with you? Yeah, it is. When I when we record the seg or segments with like Scott and Christian, you know, I can't. You're not in the same room, so I can't go over and slap you in the face like Stevie Janowski on Shane and Eastbound and Down when he's laying in the coffin. Just that light <laughs> slap across the mouth. Ah, uh, God. Guys, we are here celebrating another week. This is our week 14 AFC East Roundup. We're nearing the end of another football season. I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you guys. Festivus show coming up. I need your I need your gripes, your moans, the things about the 2022 season that have ground your gears the most. Tweet us at Rockpile Report. Email us rockpileReport716 at gmail.com. We sent out a bunch of Q42 barbecue products to some of the best. We are also going to be doing our giveaway during that show next Tuesday for all of the donations that are being driven into Friends of the Night people, our holiday donation drive. All of the prizes that we've we've talked about this ad nauseum this week, so I'm not going to drum down the whole list, but what I will say is all of the th- like if you're even thinking about it, 
tend you know, I have a rule of thumb that I apply to most things in my life. If it costs less than a pint of beer, I don't question it, I just do it. Which is how I found myself donating to a multitude of charities. But realistically, help yourself and help somebody else. Maybe win some cool prizes and also help somebody who's just just scrapping out something to eat for the day. I really do love the fact that we've gotten to do this, and I love the response we've gotten so far. If you want to get in on it, again, before Tuesday, whether it's via DM, whether it's via email, send us proof of a donation. For every $5 donated, you get an entry into a raffle for just a slew of great prizes. It'll be a great time. I'm looking forward to that podcast and just looking forward to just knowing that we helped, Chris, because how many people do Chris, how many people do you think we help versus hurt on a weekly basis? We definitely hurt more people and fan bases. That's for sure. <laughs> Especially here on the AFC's roundup. Yep. With that, the beer that I've opened for the start of this podcast, a coworker of mine. Now, I love Mike. Mike's a great, he's a great dude. He's a great shortstop at softball. He's a he's just a good person. He's got shit taste in beer. He spent almost $17, $18 on a four-pack of craft beer. He pops his head into the office and goes, hey, how do you feel about pickle beer? Now, Chris, when I say the words pickle beer... That doesn't sound like it should go together, does it? No, it doesn't. What I'm holding in my hand is a Lord Hobo. It's just called Pickle Beer, made with Grillos. Now, have you heard of Grillos? Never heard of it. I've seen them in the grocery store before. They are apparently some, like, it, if there was craft beer, they are what, they're, they're craft pickles. This is a beer made with Grillos pickle brine. But it's a beer with pickle in it. Like, Chris, this can't go well, right? No. Well, I told him I would try it, give him my thoughts. The fact that he he was willing to pay almost $18 for a four-pack and then give me one tells me it's got to be dog shit, right? Yeah. I don't... Yeah. Wait, what'd you say? I said, take a chug, because I don't know how... You could buy a beer that was made with pickle brine. It just doesn't sound like it. a smart idea. It smells salty, but I'm not getting pickle. I'm just getting like seawater, like salt water. All right, here we go. Pass the teeth. Pass the tongue. Look out, stomach. Here it comes. Oh. Oh! 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 my God! Chris! Is it bad? Chris, imagine if you took a Natty Light and poured it into a Vlasic jar and then just took a chug. That's what it tastes like? Holy shit. Like, don't even rinse out the Vlasic pickle jar, just dump it and then... Just dump Poor. it and chug. Like, the the weird thing is, is that you don't get the heaviness of pickle juice, right? Like, you don't get the heaviness. But this beer just tastes like all of the pickling spices that go into a jar of pickles. Who the fuck asked for this? 
Who? I, out yourselves right now. You know what? Chris, I feel like this could be a profiling mechanism. Probably. I feel is. like I could put this beer. I could put this beer in my fridge and I, whoever comes over and takes a sip and goes, oh, I like that. You're not fucking invited. You know, you're where, off the list. You know where you, you never get to set foot in my home again. Do you? Is that the only can you have? It is. Oh, I've but I'm the, sure I can get more if you want to try it. No, I don't want to try it. I'm. I just. I just want you to let you know that if at any point you know over the next oh until next football season, I'd you know if if you had it a four pack better. of those beers and it just somehow ended up in Iman Azizi's cooler. You could do that. <laughs> the way he sabotaged me during our recap yep. with that fucking Molson XL. Yep. Ooh, you've just see, this is why I love you, Chris. Cause you're petty like me. You're petty like me. So as we look at the state of the AFC East, AFC East is still one of the winningest divisions in all of football. Somehow, even the basement dwellers can put on an impressive performance at the end of the week. And that brings us to the New York Jets, who lost 20-12 to in Buffalo. On the line with us is Scott Mason, who I got to meet in person for the first time and meet his wife at our tailgate. And Chris got to meet you when you recorded from our studio after the game. How was your time in Buffalo? Well, first of all, I want to say, Drew, thank you for inviting us to the tailgate. We had a lot of fun. Chris, thank you for letting us use the Rock Power Report studios. It was awesome. I love your setup, and it really made my life a lot easier because I was able to do everything I needed to do for the show there. Um, I thought it, it was a fun time, man. First of all, you guys were right. The two places you said were the two best wing places were uh, uh, Duff's and Bar Bill. And at first, we were like, oh, you know, Bar Bill seems a little overrated. I think part of it is because we asked the guy which flavors he recommended yeah. and he kind of messed with, he messed it up for us. Cause we love the really, really hot wings. So I, when we try, we, on the way back, we were like, all right, let's get another order of bar bill and another order of um, Duff's. Cause you know, we got to get a second opinion. And on second review, uh, you know, we went to the tent, we looked at the review, we looked at the play. <laughs> and when we came back out of the tent, we were like, upon further review, Bar Bill has it, but it's pretty close. Both places are really good. Um, everybody was really nice, even at the stadium. It was funny. Like, you guys, the way that Bills fans trash talk compared to the way I'm used to with Jets fans, like, uh, I, when, um, and we'll get into the game, obviously. But at one point, somebody in front of me, because I was cheering for the Jets, this woman who had had, uh, I'm going to guess, a minimum of 12 beers. <laughs> she was a, oh, Jets fan, whatever. She's like, oh, you didn't, why didn't you wear your colors? I'm like, it's cold and I never wear colors to the game. And she's like, you just didn't want to get abused by Bills fans. I'm like, lady, I've been a Jets fan my whole life. There's literally nothing you can say to me that's going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> and then the whole game, she kept looking at me whenever the Bills would make a good play. I'm like, okay. Like, and it was just so funny because she then at one point she says to me, to tell you the truth, I think the Jets are going to come back and win. Josh Allen's going to blow this. And then five minutes later, she goes, no, the Bills are going to win. You're a suck. I'm like, five minutes ago, lady, you told me. And then she like pretended like she forgot she said it. It was it was a fun time. And I got to tell you guys, I like the stadium a lot. Uh, I forget one of the guys at your tailgate described it as a as like a really big um, high school football stadium. That's mm -hmm. sort of what it felt like. It was a, it's a much better experience watching a game in there than MetLife. I honestly think MetLife Stadium sucks, man. 
Look at that, Chris. The fact that our our, our stadium that's outdated, outmoded, has no, no frills, but it's better for watching the game of football. Right. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, isn't that the reason you go to the stadium right. is to watch the game? Right. That, that's why we go. Of course, the, the reason that the, the teams put these stadiums up is to make as much money as possible. So they want to have state-of-the-art this, state-of-the-art that. But, man, just give me a fun place to watch a football game. That's all that, I care. Well, that's how you end up like Matt Ryan when we beat them at the, like, their, their opening, their inaugural season inside the Mercedes-Benz Dome. I remember him going on Monday morning radio after the Bills went down there and beat them. And he pointed out the fact that it was real loud for us on third downs. And one of the things we noticed is because when you looked, the whole lower bowl was full of Bills fans and empty seats because everybody else was still in the concourse, taking in the steakhouses and the shopping mall. And like all of the all of these amenities that they added took people out of the seats. Meanwhile, the Bills fans who aren't used to that, what did we do? We got drunk. We got in our seats and we talked a lot of trash to the players on the field. And it ended up playing a role in the game. And it's like, guys, this is what competitive. That's why when we talk about how important playoff seating and where you you get home field advantage is, there's not a lot of places like Buffalo left where it's just 100,000 people and they're all right on top of you just screaming. There's nobody in the bathroom. There's nobody shopping at the mall. There's nobody looking at the Tiffany kiosk at this. There's none of that. And I'll tell you what I was impressed by, too, honestly. Uh, it was a hailstorm. And and I understand the Bills are good, so people want to see the, the team play. But, man, it was packed, completely packed out. Everybody was uh, really pumped up for the game and loud and all that. It was a, it was an impressive crowd, honestly. I, I If it had been like that at MetLife, I bet you would have seen a lot of empty seats. So when we talk about this game, one of the things I alluded to and didn't really get to dive into as much detail as I'd like to, but I'm sure you're the person qualified to have this conversation. Just how the guts that Mike White has, like the toughness of this dude. It's we we joked around on our recap podcast about how there was this little girl (laughs) a listener of ours brought to the game. And she was, I saw that. And she was, and, the, the the youngest one, she was probably, I think, seven, I think her mom said, seven, eight. At one, when he went down, Mike White goes down for the first time and he gets taken off. He comes back and he takes another shot. He takes, I think it was Daquan Jones. Somebody, one of our defensive tackles just gets him right in the stomach. It was Ed, Ed Oliver was the Ed first Oliver. one and Milano, Milano was the second one. Okay. So after the second one, the little girl looks at her dad and she's like, he should just stay down. And then she <laughs> boos. And yet he found his feet and kept throwing punches. When's the last time the Jets have had a quarterback who genuinely cares about being the quarterback of the New York Jets this much? Well, first of all, I got to tell you something funny about that. So, you know, Mike White goes out the second time. Flacco comes in, coughs the ball up. Bills get a field goal, the whole thing. And Flacco comes back out. And then later on, Mike White comes out. But the guy standing next to me doesn't realize it's Mike White. So he yells out, Flacco, you suck. (laughs) And then I'm like, Mike White's back. And he goes, oh, it's White? 
why you suck too? And it was just really funny. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you want to talk about toughness. This is why the guys on that team love, and you heard Shaq Lawson say it when he was there last year, what a tough dude Mike White is. He Listen, we all thought he had broken ribs. Tony Romo said it on TV. He goes, well, he's not coming back. His ribs are broken. And somehow he found a way to come back on the field. And I'll tell you what, too. After Oliver hit him on that first one, he had stepped up in the pocket in the face of Ed Oliver coming at him and threw a perfect strike 24 yards downfield for a first down to Elijah Moore. Now, I keep coming back to this with Mike White. I don't know if Mike White's good because I just haven't seen enough. I've seen enough to know I want to see more. But you guys saw it. Like, honestly, he throws some really nice passes. Like, he fits the ball into some tight windows, man. That, that, that completion down the field for, like, 20-something, almost 30 yards to Berrios. Yeah. I'm like, Berrios sucks. The fact that you were able to put it on him like right. that in coverage, that's right. a beautiful – He like, let's call a spade a spade. He outplayed Josh Allen. Yeah, I, I said that too, actually. Like, I think you could make the case that because of the plays Allen made with his legs, maybe overall Allen was the better player, maybe. But I think Mike White out through Josh Allen. He's a better for passer sure. for damn sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I look, I, like I said, I don't know exactly. I, I think that Mike White easily like the three we, we we know that the three things that really did in the jets because i really believe that the jets in a lot of ways went toe-to-toe toe-to-toe with the bills on sunday it was three mistakes because you remember the first time these teams played the bills were the ones that made the mistakes mostly the allen interception right this time it was the jets and it was three huge mistakes the first one was cj mosley who of all people should have known better jumping on that count on the fourth and one because the bills were going to punt the ball we know that yeah, but, um, but do you know the ridiculous design of that like we talked about it during our recap yeah. that's playground football yeah that's, no, exactly it's, it's literally the, the play from the longest yard when he paul cruz acting like he can't hear the sideline and right. then they snap the ball and he goes out as a wide receiver. I think the Bills ran something similar once upon a time to uh, the Seahawks. It was Ryan Denny, defensive end Ryan Denny on a field goal. He goes over and just starts talking to the line side judge, and none of the like none of the opposing team's special teams players noticed he was out there. So they lined up for a field goal, and Ryan Denny's just uncovered. But he hasn't come off the field. And they snap the ball and just throw it out to him, and he runs it in for like 28 yards for a touchdown. Right. It's one of those types of plays where you go, this is either going to be a disaster or it's going to work simply because nobody's dumb enough to run this play. Well, I, I, look, I think they were going to punt. It was pretty clear, especially since the way that game was going, you weren't going to risk handing the Jets the ball right around midfield. But Mosley Wall people falling for that. And then, of course, the Bills cashing in with a touchdown. Otherwise, they probably go into the locker room tied at nothing and the Jets get the ball to start the second half. The other two times that uh, two big mistakes were the Flacco fumble. Went, went, yeah, well, first the Flacco fumble uh, after Mike White came out and the Jets were building momentum. They had gotten a touchdown. It was 14 7 Bills. They were driving, they were at midfield, and Flacco coughs the ball up, leads to a Bills field goal. And then, of course, they had another chance after the Jermaine Johnson safety where he blocked the, the the punt in the end zone they were driving with a chance to score a touchdown and, and go get within a field goal and michael carter fumbles it so those three things doomed them but i i really do think that 
the Jets can hang with the Bills. I think we've seen that the last two times. And so the, the, the question becomes how far can Mike White take them? Because now the loss to the Bills, and ironically now the Jets are going to need the Bills' help. But the, the loss to the Bills is going to, you know, because we're bringing it back to the original question you were asking about Mike White. We're going to see just how bad he wants it because that loss to the Bills really messes up their playoff chances. I think ESPN what? has them now at 27%. And I was going to say, now- I looked at 538.com. That's who I go to because I like their algorithm. I like the way that they put it together. Uh, 33% chance. Uh, Miami is a game ahead. New England holds a tiebreaker. And you've got a slate of hot quarterbacks coming up. Goff, Lawrence, Geno Smith. Yeah, you listen, you could – Jared Goff and the Lions are maybe the hottest team in the league right now. You could make the case that Trevor Lawrence has been the best quarterback in the NFL the second half of the season. And then from there, you go on the road and take on the Seahawks and the Dolphins. What I will say is, ironically now, Mike White has an opportunity – to, he's got four games to audition for the starting job next year. If he kills it the next four games and brings the Jets into the playoffs, then he might have a chance to to get re-signed and get the starting job, and, and all of this hard work will have paid off. Uh, the funny thing is they may have to rely a lot on the Bills here because the, the Bills are playing the Dolphins. The, the Jets need the Bills to win that one badly. And the, and the Bills, the last game of the season, and this is where, no offense, I hope they still have something to play for, if not, uh, you know, if not the division, I hope it's at least the number one seed they're trying to lock up. Need the Bills to beat the Patriots that last week of the season, too. But the Jets went into this one controlling their own desti- destiny. They came out now in a lot of trouble. And if they lose to the Lions on Sunday, they're hosed. And like you said, Goff is red hot right now. Uh, he went from a guy who was a placeholder to he's probably going to get franchise tagged and re-signed. And the Jets have to win this game. And Mike White is going to have to step up with those injured ribs and do everything he can to make it happen because the Jets' season and his future probably depend on it. It's funny you say that because <clears throat> you're talking here about the Jets and just the first of all, the Bills will ha- the Bills have to win out. Right. As long as Casey doesn't lose, the Bills have to win out in order to maintain that one seed. So that will be the focus. They're going to have pedal to the floor the entire way. So you've got that going for you. I guess the question I want to end this segment with on is this. If where we are today, the Jets were to fail, let's say things don't go well the next couple of weeks. The team shows some moxie, but they just can't quite get it done. Your defense does what it's been doing all season, but just can't. Your offense can't keep pace with teams like the Lions, teams like the Jaguars, teams like the Seahawks. And you you drop one or two here, there, and you, you wind up falling just short of the playoffs. First of all, you're not killed because it, most people would be like, oh, you tanked our draft thing. Your GM just hit on like five picks in the same draft. You could miss all of next year's draft and it wouldn't make a fucking difference. You still have a whole bunch of really talented cost controlled players that you just got for years. But would you, would Jets fans and would you personally see it as a like, I don't know, would you consider it to be a disappointment? Because I guess when we started this series this season, you were like, I want to see the development of our quarterback or a quarterback. 
I want to see somebody develop into something that I can call my quarterback. And if we compete, like, because competing was never in the mindset of a Jets fan week one through six. Now the expectations have risen over the course of the season. But when you take in the season in its totality, if you were to miss, would you call the year a disappointment? Well, first, let me say that just to put in perspective, the Jets draft class. And to be fair, it's a lot easier to do this when you have two top 10 picks. But still, they have the guy who right now is the front runner for defensive rookie of the year. They have the guy who right now is the front runner for the offensive rookie of the year, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, respectively. They have the guy who probably would have won offensive rookie of the year if he hadn't gotten hurt, Brees Hall. And they have a guy in Bam Knight who, if he had played more games, because he's only played three so far, he'd likely be in the running for offensive rookie of the year. So it's really crazy. And he wasn't even drafted, by the way. So it's really crazy how many impact players the Jets were able to add this offseason, including Jermaine Johnson, who hasn't been as impactful as those guys. But as you saw on Sunday with that blocked punt for the safety, he's made plenty. And also in the first game, that big sack on Josh Allen, he's made plenty of plays, too. So, yeah, I mean, that that's been great. But as far as whether it would be a disappointment, yeah, absolutely. Look, at the beginning of the season, if you would have said, OK, there's four games left to go and they have a chance at the playoffs, but it's less than 50 percent. I would have said, cool, but, you know, expectations have to adjust based on what you've seen from week to week. And part of it is, look, I've always loved Quinn and Williams. I've always believed he would become an elite player. I didn't know that this would be the year that he would become debatably one of the top two or three defensive players in the NFL, right? Uh, Sauce Gardner always believed he would be a great corner. Didn't believe he'd necessarily get to the point where he's arguably the best corner in the league as a rookie. Uh, You look at Garrett Wilson. I thought he'd be good. Didn't think he'd be great. I certainly thought he'd have his share of struggles year one. He's already looking like he could be a top 10 receiver as a rookie. It's insane. So when, when you look at these things, especially considering that Zach Wilson just unfortunately it hasn't worked out for him this year and the fact that it's right within striking distance and they haven't gone to the playoffs in 12 years yeah it would be a huge disappointment I think it would crush a lot of Jets fans it's nice that we're finally not talking about the draft in December but ultimately if this winds up like 2015 then we're just going to look back at it as Jets fans as another missed opportunity for this team And yeah, you assume that next year they take that next step, but who's to say what happens? Nobody knows. Guys could get hurt. There's a variety of different things that could happen. So you would like to see it. And also with Mike White, you'd like to see him turn out to be a guy that maybe, you know, ultimately he turns out to be the Kirk Cousins to uh, Zach Wilson's RG3 or something like that. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you, you, you would at the very least want this team to find a way to make it in considering what we've seen throughout the year and the, the expectations that have built. If you want to make the case that it's okay to not be disappointed because you weren't expecting it at the beginning of the year, I guess. But to me, my expectations shifted when all those things I mentioned came into focus. And so, yeah, I, I'll be very disappointed. I would imagine most Jets fans would be very disappointed. Well, then you guys got a lot of work in front of you. Now, we're going to do our part. 
or at least we're going to try like hell. It's going to be up to the Jets. So from there on out, I know you have it covered. You guys have a lot of content coming up as, as you guys go into these very important football games. Where can everybody find your work? And what do you have coming up over at Play Like a Jet? Yeah, a lot of stuff coming up. By the way, I got to say, I met a lot of fun people at the tailgate. Uh, one dude whose name I'm sorry, I completely forgot. He drives in from Pittsburgh, which is crazy for these games. Yeah, and he was that's F1 Dave. That's F1 Dave. He's a lunatic. He was saying to me, he up with a 30 pick, I'm on Tucky. Dude, we were online at the stadium to get in, and he starts yelling very loudly that if the Bills aren't up by 10 at halftime, he's going to, quote, blow up the stadium. I'm like, dude, not something you want to say out loud. There, There's going to be some people that are going to hear that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, careful, buddy. You're, you're going to end up on a list. Yeah. People get no fly list. That's, that's what I was saying. Also, somebody said this to me, and this was the nicest compliment. He said, I always listen to the Rock Pile Report. Sometimes I don't make it through the entire AFC East show, but I always make sure I listen to your segment because you and Drew are hilarious together. So I thought that was really nice. <laughs> Mark was really cool. Uh, he seemed very busy, but he was really nice. Everybody there was super cool. Nobody gave me crap for being a Jets fan or got on. You know, they were all uh, very nice. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and I, I hope that you guys, you and Chris, at some point will, will make your way down to uh to new jersey or new york I, i've got some uh slices of pizza with your name on it gentlemen but I'll, as far as play I'll like come a but i gotta get my tetanus shot updated <laughs> very smart idea especially if you're gonna ride the new york city subways uh <laughs> I, as far as play like a jet goes you can find us on all your favorite platforms google play stitcher spotify uh, apple whatever all of those playlikeajet.com. We really got the content going now. Haley English is doing a great job with the stats. She's been joining me on the podcast as well. It's funny. She did uh, research and analytics for PFF and she's a Jets fan. So I joked, I said, all Jets fans hate PFF, except we love Haley because Haley was a Jets fan inside the belly of the beast. So uh, uh, we're doing that. We've got mailbag shows, the post game show, which I taped at the Rock Power Report studio last week. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot of content up through all the way up through Christmas. New shows every day, including Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's, New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. All 22 breakdowns are over there. The, the one thing that I will say before I run, guys, is that I did say to you, Drew, and I said to everybody else, and you guys all laughed, and you said, that's not the kind of tailgate we do here. I said, I see a table here. I don't see anybody like the Dudley boys saying Devon get the tables and throwing somebody power bombing them or giving them a 3D through the tables. So next time I come up, uh, you guys are going to have to take me over to one of those just so I can see it for myself. Somebody getting thrown through a flaming table. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Christian Simonelli here to talk about the New England Patriots, who put on an impressive performance, winning 27-13 against the Arizona Cardinals. I think we can all agree that the team, Christian, the team basically dominated this one, didn't it? I don't know. I, I, I'd like to visit the definition of impressive with you because, <laughs> I mean. I don't know. Your team almost had two defensive scores, if not for replay review. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kyler Murray goes on the third play and, you know, you get journeyman Colt McCoy in there. Um, I mean, they didn't even change their defense, which was designed to, to, to stop Murray. They just pretty much played what they were in. And, you know, the the scary part for me is that there were plays there that could have been made. Like, you know, if Hollywood Brown didn't jump for a catch and he just ran, probably would have been a touchdown on one play. So I'm kind of used to seeing that. Like they, again, just another crap team they beat, basically, <laughs> that was just totally dysfunctional once Kyler went out. So are you saying that they've been padding their st- padding their win total this season against crap teams? I don't know. You tell me. Out of the seven wins they have, six have come against backup quarterbacks. Let's see. I'm going to run this down now. So you <laughs> won against you won against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep. That was Mitch Trubisky. He was a he's hey he's a starter. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, Detroit Lions. Jared That's Goff. A yep. There's okay. a starter. Uh. Who else? Uh, the New York Jets. That was was that a Mike White game yet? Nope. Both no, Wilson. he's he's a starter. So listen, I know that you're being down on your team. You're frustrated about the way the year has gone. But also, those were the, the right there's three wins against quarterbacks who some idiot that makes way more money than the three of us combined. You, me, Chris decided that's the guy that's going to lead my team. <laughs> that's the guy that's going to lead my team this season in the NFL. So you can't blame the Patriots for beating them, can you? Look, they play who's on their schedule, but it's a common recurring theme that's been really for the better part of three seasons. You know, they beat up on these teams that don't have a clue. Arizona was four and eight. And then you play a team with a, a pulse on offense and they lose, whether it be Minnesota, <laughs> whether it be Baltimore. Um, you look at that Green Bay game that they lost earlier in the year, even though Zappi, you know, uh, was the quarterback for that game. You know, Green Bay's terrible. That's a team they should have beat, even though it was at Lambeau Field and against Aaron Rodgers. So just the quality, again, you know, I – Look, they're going to make the playoffs because the AFC sucks. So I'm going to be here <laughs> wild card weekend with my feet up watching them against somebody. I don't know who that's going to be, but they're playing. Well, part of the thing is, like, I saw Mac just, so I was watching the game and I watched Mac Jones throwing the football for the first time in, like, I can remember actually throwing it. 
how like what has the talk been like around the Patriots fan base about what he what he looked like in that game? Because I thought he looked impressive compared to what I saw before. You know, it's funny. A lot of the a lot of the talk this week hasn't necessarily been about playing on the field, but more about his 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 sort of gyrations and his mannerisms in between plays with the coaching staff uh, on the sideline. There's multiple angles of him uh, yelling, uh, you know, the F word. And then there's a, <laughs> a, another angle where they came out of a commercial break and they went back to it. Um, Monday Night Football went back to it where he's literally waving his offensive coordinator off and telling him to shut the bleep up. So the focus <laughs> is, has, has, been on, has been on that. And I think they had 14 plays that went for a yard or less or something like that. So th- that's what people have been focused on. And again, it's it's nothing new. It's centered around the incompetence of the offensive coordinator, and um, you know that's that's sort of the the dysfunctional relationship that is playing out before us every week, pretty much. Well, if you, th- I mean, it seems like they're at least trying some different stuff. You got I saw I see a, like a forty yard pass to Hunter Henry. I see I see quick game all of a sudden becoming a factor in the offense. I'm watching screen passes after screen pass after screen pass. Yeah, Jacoby Myers takes more. What's it, Jacoby Myers? I don't know who takes it, and it's just a quick hitch, nine yards, quick hitch, yeah. seven yards. Well, my- and I go, okay, well, they're they're at least acknowledging, hey, right now this other shit isn't working. Pivot, run this, it'll be fine, and it did work. Like, why is everybody mad about that? Um, because the, the, the offense has basically been that it's been a screen game. You know, they, we call it the screen offense around here. You know, it's not like the run and shoot or the, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the wing T or whatever. It's the screen offense because everything is a screen. Everything's coming out quick. And people are saying, you know, most of the people that are analyzing the tape are saying they don't trust back. They want to get the ball out of his hands. Number one, number two, the offensive line sucks. They don't trust him to get back there to, to you know, read a defense and stay in the pocket for five seconds because the offensive line is going to get him killed. And so that's why they run screens. Um, to me, if I had to look at a silver lining in the whole game, I thought it was the contribution that you got from your rookies on the offensive-defensive side of the ball. You had guys go down left and right, and rookies stepped up, whether it be Marcus Jones, Tyquan Thornton, the two running backs, Pia Strong, Kevin Harris – they actually look pretty good. They look like they had some 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 guys there with some with some spark. So I kind of came up feeling good about the rookies. I got to ask you because we we know Bill Belichick is a cantankerous prick, and one of the things you don't want to do to a cantankerous prick is poke the bear, at least not unnecessarily. So uh, was it Steve Wilkes? Uh, who and Joseph. Vance Joseph decides that he's going to go out and in his press conference openly mock the Patriots. Like, you don't hear that very often. And I remember the guys here at WGR 550 making a big deal about it this week here on our Sports Talk Radio. They're like, oh, man, look how far the Patriots have fallen. Other teams are openly taking shots at them in an era where that's not like that's not a dynamic. That's not a thing that you do. Nobody gives Bill Belichick bulletin board material. But they thought so little of this iteration of the New England Patriots that they tried to. And this was the result. <laughs> it just felt like a bloodbath. How much of that do you think goes back to 
somebody coming in and from the outside of the building lighting a fire under, under everybody's ass. I think in the old days of Brady, it would have taken on a much bigger, deeper meaning, and you would have seen you would have seen them throwing bombs with you know a minute thirty left to go in the game down the field. Like when it came to you know sort of everybody us against the world type games, you know somebody said something, Brady would make them pay. I think in this case with this iteration of this Patriots, as you mentioned, they really don't have the ability to do that. It didn't go unnoticed. My theory in that whole uh, Vance Joseph comments was, you know, hey, they run plays for four yards and they run screen and they do this and it's a defensive guy calling offensive plays. Defensive guy calling offensive plays. And I think that it was a part of Bill and the reason, one of the reasons that they ran so many screens this particular game was, hey, you know what, MFR? You make a fun <laughs> of our screen game, we run screens, fine. We're going to screen you to death. And that's what they did. They screened them to death. Um, so I think there's a, there was a little bit there, but it the was kind of going down the third play of the game. That was really the whole game. Well, sure, but the defensive effort from there on out felt almost personal. Yeah, these guys, um, you know, they, they they had heard about all week what Buffalo did to them and how Buffalo took their foot off the gas and could have put up 40 points if they wanted to, particularly guys like Matt Judon and, you know, veterans like, Devin McCourty, you know, they took that to heart. You know, they, they, they came out, and, and I think the best thing for this team was to be on the road, away from Foxborough, and get the win. And now they're continuing to stay out on the West Coast, and they play Vegas this week. I think if they had lost, things would have really spiraled out of control. It was, just, in some ways, really for their season, a must-win game. And they won it. And they came out, and they came out on fire. Uh, defense, particularly the second half. I mean, it was a 13-13 game with Colt McCoy in there. I mean, Colt well, McCoy was making plays. Sure, he was making plays. Until but, he didn't. But, well, until he didn't, but also, like right. I said, like six sacks. I think I, I'm looking at pro football focus right now. I just got done crowing about how great I thought the Bills defensive line did and just the physicality and some of the viciousness they played with. I watched that Patriots game, and it, I mean, there, there's a, some of the sacks just felt personal. They finished with 24 total pressures, which is crazy if you think about that. 24 individual right. pressures, not just plays where a guy was. Pre- so there was plays where Colt McCoy had guys coming at him from both sides. He was being scissored in the pocket, and there was nothing he could do about it. Yeah. It was, and- yeah, and typically they run games up front, like they run stunts and spins and stuff. This was really just Judon and Uche flying off the edges. It and was either just bull rushing or just, yeah. So Uche has been um, on fire, really. Uh, well, he had the one that been- really stuck out to me the most, Christian. It was late in the game. He's taken Colt McCoy to the ground, and he can't punch. He, tries, he goes for the punch. He can't yep. get the ball out. And then just the disgusted way he kind of just discards him to the ground. It's like, holy shit. Yeah, just toss him. All right, right. these Patriots defensive players have no respect. No respect for these (laughs) Cardinals offensive players. Like, that's what stood out to me. Is that refreshing to see in terms of just, hey, at least some unit of our team has a little bit of swagger still? Yeah, it's refreshing to see the fight. Because I think a lot of us thought after that Buffalo game that, geez, you know, Bill's really losing this team. They designed a game plan not to get blown out and really not to win 
you know, how are the players going to react this week going on the road? How are they going to respond? And they responded, you know, well on the road, you know? Um, so yeah, you have to feel good about that. I do. Like I, there's still that part of me that says, even though I think Bill has lost it in some respects, you know, the team will still fight. They'll still play. They'll still show up. Um, you know, and that there won't be any quit. And I credit the veterans in the locker room, like Slater, McCordy, guys that have been there. David Andrews is a real anchor on that offense. And he's really the elder statesman on that offense that, you know, rallies guys and, and, and really, really brings guys together. So I think the veteran presence certainly helped this week. The One of the crazier things about this NFL season, so you guys are about to play Josh McDaniel. You're going to go on the road, play Josh. And there's no, like, animosity, right? Like, this isn't, like, a grudge match thing. This is like, hey, Grasshopper's going to try to take the, the rock out of the uh, Jedi, <laughs> out of his, like, sensei's hand, right? Right. No, there's a lot of love there. I just left on good terms. Um, yeah. He left on good terms in 09, you know, so I... <laughs> I, he, I love that dynamic that he left and came back and now he's gone again. He'll probably end up back here like in the next two years. As soon as Mark, uh, Mark Davis gets enough money to pay another coach. Right. Right. I mean, my God, with the leads that they've blown this year, what is it? I think they've blown five double digit leads in the fourth quarter or some crazy stat. There's some crazy stat like that. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's funny. You know, he came back here, he marinated a little bit more and, um, but it sh- it should be all love. It should be a love fest. I mean, I I don't see there being any animosity. There's definitely going to be competition to want to beat him, though. That's sure. for sure. Yeah, because yeah. you guys are somehow still the seven seed in the AFC East or the AFC <laughs> playoff picture. And what's crazier is that the Dolphins are six. The Dolphins are going to come into Buffalo and run headfirst into what you guys ran into. And if Miami can't figure out a way to win that game. And you guys beat the Patriots or beat the, uh, Jesus Christ, the Patriots beat the Raiders. You guys are looking at b- being just a half game back of being a six seed, not just like, hey, we're on the bubble. Hey, we're climbing into this thing. Yeah, it's really a, a stark contrast from about a month ago. You know, um, just, you know, hey, like you said, the, the league is a crazy league. Um, you know, how does. How did the Texans even stay within a touchdown of, of Dallas during the week, you know? Because Dallas yeah, sorry. sucks. Well, see, but, you know, 17-point <laughs> favorites, it's a crazy – I mean, and then, you know, you had that tweet today, you know, about Minnesota, and they swept the AFC East, you know? All <laughs> wacky games, but it's a crazy it's a crazy league. And, I, you know, I, you, you still got a team like San Diego that's in there too. Their schedule is really easy down the stretch. But they'll screw it up somehow because that's what they do. They, they they always screw it up in some some way. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's I'm sorry, be... <laughs> LA. I met the Chargers. I always say San Diego. They're still San Diego in our hearts. They always uh, they will are. be. Guys, it's going to be fun to watch how your season ends because it's like it's like a choose your own adventure book. It could go anywhere. You guys could end up as high as the. I mean, I'm looking at this. You guys could end up traveling to a place depending on where you f- sit. Going to play a team like the Titans, who I think you you could beat with just average offense and good coaching. So who knows yeah. what your postseason fortunes might look like if you can keep winning. It's going to be interesting to watch these games. Where can everybody follow you on Twitter while you kind of just experience all of this? 
<laughs> oh, Experience Hall. That's a nice way to put it. Experience Hall. Yeah, at, <laughs> at Chris with the TIAN on Twitter. Um, like I said, the, the Bills fans are increasing week by week. Give me a follow. Give you a follow back. And uh, yeah, we can be entertained together on Twitter. Christian, Simonelli, Scott Mason. Only two this week because Alf did the preview. They are the American males of the AFC East. <laughs> There's no way that's a real tag team name. Yeah, Scotty Riggs and Buff Bagwell. I would tell you to go listen to their the theme song for them. One of the worst in wrestling history, that's for damn sure. I will say, for being someone who doesn't like wrestling, I'll tell you what I did do. I did, and I was a huge fan of WWE The Music. Volume 3 and Volume 4 were probably the finest efforts. Uh, captured the Attitude Era, basically in a whole. Um, uh, the, the song Ass Man is actually something that still plays in my house to this day. But that's just because I know it bugs my wife. And because, let's face it, I'm, I'm just being honest here. <laughs> I, I like a nice posterior. It... It's ugly business. I can't believe American males is a real thing. I can't. Yeah, there were also, like you know, there were like uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I guess the theme of it was like there were male escorts. <laughs> was the theme behind the, the tag team? God, the gimmicks that the WWE tried over the years. I'll tell you what, though. You know what else is a gimmick? And yet I'm I'm I've been sipping this pickle beer the whole time we've been sitting here. Mm-hmm. It's it's still just as gross. <laughs> it's just as disgusting as it was when I opened it. And yet mm. See Chris like you can see me. Yeah. Do I look like I'm enjoying this? No. Give it give some to Larissa. Go upstairs and <laughs> Hey, babe, put put down those hydrocodones and open your mouth. Yeah. Here's, here's a pickle beer. I'm sure that won't end in divorce. I'm positive, right? Oh, I got to find. So Vince, so Lackawanna Vince brought me this. Where else would you rather beer Kolsch? I'm going to wash this ridiculous pickle beer down with that. As we get to talking with the Miami Dolphins, who lost to the Chargers 23 to 17. Man, the Dolphins have gone and had themselves a couple weeks, huh? Back-to-back losses that cost them the division lead, and they're now the sixth seed in the AFC. They lost to a rookie whose name is Brock Purdy. Like, Brock Purdy doesn't sound like, like, actually, Brock sounds like a quarterback name, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Purdy? Yeah, Iowa State quarterback. He was pretty good at Iowa State. At Iowa fucking state. So as Mr. They lost to not just a rookie, but Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the draft. Everybody get to watch Tua get badly outplayed by a guy that they've been hearing they should have drafted instead of Justin, you know, like Justin Herbert. Chris, how long has that dynamic existed where people are like, oh, the Dolphins should have drafted Herbert instead of Tua? Yeah, it'll happen for as long as both of them are in the NFL. And one of them threw for almost 400 yards, and one of them showed his ass to the entire nation. Yeah, that happened. The uh, that's It sucks for Tua because you needed that game 
for AFC East implications. You're going against the quarterback that was drafted one pick after you. And the fact that you have that and it's a standalone game on Sunday night football just makes the magnifying glass that much hotter. Dude, it's so bad. And then there's this from former Bills beat reporter turned Dolphins writer Marcel Louis-Jacques. Taking away their touchdown passes of 75, 45, and 60 yards, the Dolphins have just 347 yards of offense over the past two weeks. And they're about to play a defensive coordinator and head coach tandem that's one of the best in the NFL at taking away what their opponents do best. Now, for anyone at home who's doing the math, that's 173.5 yards per game if you take out all of the fluky, quick-strike plays just predicated on weird defensive breakdowns. Chris, doesn't that signal to you that teams have caught up with the stuff? Like, we've all seen it by now. Dan Orlovsky on ESPN. Uh, Nate Geary, during our preview show, talking about all of the ways that the league might have caught up defensively to what Mike McDaniel had, and he doesn't seem to have an off-speed pitch, right? Yeah, well, if you look at their schedule, they don't really have a, a win against a quality team. You have losses to the Chargers and 49ers. Uh, I mean, Bills, you can say that was a quality win that they had, but they've lost to Cincinnati, Minnesota, the Niners, and the Chargers while you beating the Steelers, the Bears, and the Texans. Their, yeah. their wins aren't that quality. No, and it's a it's one thing to have a team capable of making those big splash plays, like Trent Sherfield going for 75 yards for a touchdown on the first play of that 49ers game probably made every Dolphins fan feel really good about things. The thing is now what teams are learning is we just – Listen, they're going to get one or two of those. But one or two isn't going to stop us from doing what we want to do. And that's where this whole thing falls apart for them. I mean, we all remember, Chris, when the 2020 and 2021 Bills were that team, right? Yep. The quick strike team. The team that was going to throw. Now we're the team that runs the ball better than anyone else in football, given the fact that we have a 100... Everyone, myself included, have gotten mad about the fact that, oh, the Bills can't run the ball. As a team, 100 yards rushing a game, we're the only ones to do it. (laughs) We're the only ones who have 100 yards in every single game, which means that between our quarterback and our running backs, we're incredibly hard to defend because you have to keep the run game honest. And yet josh allen might just throw one over the top of you he might get a guy in traffic like he almost hit stefan Diggs in the jets game it's just there's a lot here that we have that the dolphins don't because teams say listen we'll give you that quick one because you're not gonna do it again that's a lucky breakdown that won't happen twice and that's the problem all of a sudden their entire offensive approach is suddenly predicated on catching lightning in a bottle In San Francisco, they ran the ball just eight times. Against the Chargers, they averaged four yards a carry, which isn't anything to write home about, but it's also not the worst in the league. You think that that's something you could build momentum around, right, Chris? Yes. Like, if I'm getting four yards a carry, 
it means that I'm doing something well enough that I should be able to move the sticks. Like if I ran on first, ran on second, that sets up a manageable third, correct? Yeah. Instead, what they did was keep forcing the ball into the hands of a quarterback who's playing the most, like, it's the most inefficient football in the league right now. Week 14, Ben Baldwin, Computer Cowboy on Twitter, put out the stat. Here's your quarterback efficiency chart for week 14. Kirk Cousins, high and all the way to the right. Tua Tungavaloa, not just in the in the lower left quadrant, but alone, like, like how the cheese stands alone, alone, alone. Josh Allen had a bad day. He's not as far back as Tua. <laughs> that's, that's bad. And the result was them being almost doubled up in first downs in each game, losing the time of possession battle by almost 20 minutes in each contest, and ultimately looking lost as a football team. The biggest question for Miami coming into like coming out of this week is can you fix something that's not just a byproduct of bad luck, but also what seems like poor decisions by the coaching staff? Chris, do you think that Miami can pull themselves out of this tailspin? I'm sure they can, but it's you know, it's like rookie what it's like you, you hit like a rookie wall. And I think you can get that with uh with coaching. Now that we got some tape on what Mike McDaniel tries to do from an offensive perspective the really good defensive coaches in the league are picking up on that so hopefully that'll show this Saturday when the Bills beat the shit out of the Dolphins I want to remind people I know I catch a lot of shit for trying to be too complimentary to other teams McDermott survived Right, McDermott was a rookie. He did break the drought. He has been one of the most successful head coaches in Bill's history. McDermott survived the Peterman debacle of 2017. Do you remember that? Yep. In 2021, the Bills went 1-3 from mid-November into December, and yet we're still arguably, when the playoffs rolled around, the best team in football, correct? Yeah. So it's not to say that things are over. I know a lot of Bills fans want to throw dirt on the grave of the Miami Dolphins, but I'm one of those people who I I believe in the double tap, (laughs) right? Like double tap theory. I don't want to just hear about them being dead. I want to see it. I want to do it. So it's going to be up to the Buffalo Bills to really bury the Miami Dolphins. I need to see it. I need to see them go out there and outplay them, outlast them, whatever it takes, get that W this week, and then we can talk about all the ways that their coaching staff is in over their head, they haven't corrected things, and that things are falling apart. Otherwise, our own head coach has survived things. Maybe Mike McDaniel is the next Sean McDermott? I don't know. We'll have to see. Now that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who beat the Jets 20 to 12. The big news of the week is that Cole Beasley is back in Buffalo. I like how it. surprised. Scale of 1 to Spinal Tap 11. How surprised were you? Pretty surprising, but you know, you're going to have to end up drinking a Seagram's for OBJ not signing here and your Dawson Knox hero. You got two Seagram's God, coming. Man. 
God. This is this next podcast is going to suck. I broke it down into pros and cons. Cons? Cole Beasley didn't look nearly as sharp in 2021 as he did in 2020. Uh, 40 less yards after the catch. Average depth of target dropped three full yards from 8 to 5.6. Uh, drops increased from 1 to 4. 274 total yards fewer than he had the previous year. Just one touchdown after scoring five the previous year. And he just didn't look to have that burst that he had previously. Now, some of that, Chris, like I hear that and here's what I say. This is a guy who literally played into the playoffs with a broken fucking leg. Yeah. He had a broken leg. How many players suffer a lower lower body injury and do not come back 100%? Uh, That it takes time for them to acclimate back to that. I mean, if you talk to Kyle Trimble enough, you know that leg injuries can be a real bitch. Isn't that the reason that OBJ doesn't have a contract today? True or false? Yeah, and the fact that he didn't work out on his recent visits. Sure, no. But my point is, he's he's not healthy. He's still not healthy. And that's why no one's paying him. So the fact that we watched this guy play through the playoffs with a broken leg, and then go into the next season expecting him to be better or be the same, that's flawed thinking. He's also old. He's an old man. <laughs> we said something, uh, but if you're talking about pros, we said something during our recap podcast about John Brown that applies to Cole Beasley. And it's this idea that these guys, like, because I know the, the tape, you know, he didn't look better when he was with Tampa. He looked a little slow. He looked a little sluggish. I'm sure that was a wake-up call for him. Like, hey, I either need to do more work to get my speed back, to get my cardio back, or else I can't do this. And so he re-retired. Like, he, he, he left, he went to Tampa, then he retired. And then he unretired because he was like, I think, after talking to John... And Chris... I think, he, the- I think he left Tampa Bay because he was sick of Tom Brady complaining about his divorce. <laughs> She's taking my figurines, man. She's taking all my action figures. It's not right. It's not right. Here's here's what I know. The fact that both the John Brown move and the Cole Beasley move, by and large, have been reported to be efforts from Josh Allen himself to the front office, being like, I want these players if you can get them. I don't know. I just think about what Cole Beasley's been doing away from football. I think about John Brown away from football. John Brown has showed up here and showed that he still has it because even though he's an old man, he hasn't. He doesn't have 14 weeks of wear and tear. Well, neither is Cole Beasley. And at the same time, he's been given a second chance and he's incentivized to come here and make good on it. So what I look at is this. Dawson Knox is currently in the bottom 20 for all skill players in the NFL in average cushion. Now, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, that's the pre-snap distance between himself and the nearest defender on any given passing play. 
for the crowd who's out here screaming about Dawson Knox is lacking production this year, there aren't any other credible threats, at least not one that a team is going to make a true effort to try to stop. So Knox has been game-planned for and in large part removed from production by opposing coordinators. Beasley is a player that when he's on, when he's really on, he can make linebackers have to respect where he is and break up this shitty dynamic that has suppressed Dawson Knox's ability to produce. The Bills also currently lead the NFL in drop passes with 28. Chris, wouldn't it be nice to have a guy around who knows how to catch the ball from Josh Allen once in a while? Yes, it would. Like, I I saw the tweet from Isaiah McKenzie, which, again, we talked about McKenzie's kind of shitty attitude after this most recent game. But when they announced that they were resetting Cole Beasley, he tweeted out like, hey, man, the floor is yours. <laughs> this is, I tried filling your shoes. I can't do it. And someone responded to him. They were like, I can't believe that you guys are going to celebrate that. This guy's an anti-vaxxer, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, yeah, but he's my shitty anti-vaxxer. He's our our anti-vaxxer. Shitty anti-vaxxer. Like, that's it. He's our guy. All of this talk about the locker room and about all the stuff and all Cole Beasley. People need to get, first of all, out of your own asses. None of your opinion. Twitter has made you all think that your opinion matters. Twitter has made you all think that your opinions are important or that your feelings need to be heard. (laughs) Chris, how many people are going to take that out of context? A lot of them. (laughs) The reality is that guy is loved by that locker room. You've seen it. And I, th- I, did go- I urge you to go listen to his press conference after practice, after his first practice where he comes out. He's, he, he's very, he's, I, th- I thought he was very candid for a football player. I think he did a very good job of just kind of talking about the situation, talking about how he left, how he came back. I like the fact that Brandon Bean basically was like, look, we started talking around Thanksgiving and he asked if I could come back. And Bean was like, listen, we'll take you. Of course we'll take you. Chris, does this not speak volumes about how our locker room and coaching staff are, regardless of what fans might think? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people wanted to come back. Shaq, Jordan, now we're on to Cole. Look at John Brown, Colby's. I saw the tweet from uh, Tyler Dunn. He said that they're doing the uh, Elwood. <laughs> they're doing the Elwood thing from uh, they're doing the Blues Brothers they're basically just going back in time like they're going around and just gathering up all of the people who have made them good recently and they're just like alright guys let's circle these fucking wagons and let's go let's go hit these playoffs harder than we've ever hit them before I don't know I just I look at this and I see the Bills are currently fourth in total offensive DVOA And that's despite the fact that this team drops more passes than anyone else in football. We are number one in drops. When you hear it reported that both John Brown and Cole Beasley are back in Bill's uniforms, and both moves were at the request and maybe demand of our quarterback, it makes absolute sense. Diggs has the largest target numbers 
like largest drop numbers, but also the largest targets. And Chris, are you willing to forgive Diggs when he drops an occasional ball? I am. I know you're not. No, I, I forgive Diggs. Mm. Davis and McKenzie? Mm. I don't know about that. You guys need to pull your weight. Nine drops between the two of them, and they all are beyond the sticks. Every one of them is a drop. Not every one of them, but I think like the the vast majority. I know I, I was looking over the list. And I'm like, oh, that one, 15 yards downfield. This one, eight yards with an opportunity for 20 yards after the catch, like we saw on Sunday against the Jets. It's like you can't be an explosive offense when, like we saw Sunday against Jersey. You kill potential big plays just because you can't bring the ball in. I can imagine Josh looks at guys like John Brown, guys like Cole Beasley, regardless of whether they're a true upgrade in terms of physical skill. I don't know. They at least round out a thin wide receiver room, and he trusts them. These are guys that he trusts to do the job, trusts to catch the ball if he puts it on him. Chris, is it frustrating that that's even necessary? It is. Like, I'm going to have a lot more on this point during our Festivus celebration because there's a lot of things we did this offseason that grind my gears because I feel like this offseason was spent not actually upgrading these things. I think that most of the offseason moves that this team made, and that's not like I'm saying Brandon Bean's a bad GM. I just don't think they did well. (laughs) I just don't think they got better. And these moves are a pretty stark indictment of that. But so with that, I mean, that's, that's, a t- that's a talk for the Festivus podcast. The Bills' Week 15 playoff odds and the rock pile rooting interests. First of all, the Buffalo Bills are over 99% odds to make the playoffs. Doesn't that feel good three years in a row, Chris? Love to see it. 92% to win the division. You can't clinch the division this week, but you can clinch the playoffs. And Sean McDermott is undefeated in clinching scenarios. 46% for the first round by with Kansas City right behind us at 42. Here's an interesting point. Most people look at the AFC and they see genuine quote-unquote contenders, right? Like they label them as Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincy. Would you agree with that? Sure. But if you go to 538, just like percentages, Cincy only has single digits across the board. And they're just a 38% odds on to win their division. They go on the road versus Tampa, on the road versus the Patriots, and then home against Buffalo, and then Baltimore to end the season. Meanwhile, Baltimore has Cleveland, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, and Cincy. Isn't this more of a byproduct of the fact that all those early season losses really kind of hemmed them in? And their road to getting the division is harder than Baltimore's? Absolutely. So, last week we talked about what happens to teams that go on the road. It doesn't end well. It never does. Like, the Giants were the one of the few wildcard teams to ever start at the bottom and win the Super Bowl. Like, I'm thinking about, like, the uh, the runs like the Sabres had. What was that, Chris? 6 where they 0506, where they swept Ottawa? Yeah. Like, that's improbable. That's highly improbable. And in fact, that series is kind of what keyed a heated rivalry for almost a decade. 
like that series alone. They have a really rough time. And I genuinely believe that it's Buffalo and Kansas City. And as long as we can stay ahead of them and hold serve, you heard Scott say it. This stadium is built for one thing, to show up and scream your ass off and watch football. There's no frills. We're not fancy. You're going to be cold as hell. A lot of you in the upper decks are going to catch windburn. But guess what? We are on top of you as an opponent. We're loud. We're oppressive. I don't know. I just think that if Buffalo can maintain the the one seed, there's a lot of room to make some moves. And since he isn't guaranteed an inside track to anything the way Kansas City and Buffalo are. So with that, in terms of the games that we're looking for, Buffalo over Miami is a given. It would move our division odds to over 99% because at that point, Miami would have to win out and we would have to lose out. And our odds of a first-round bye go to 55%. Tampa Bay over Cincy. That one would increase our odds within the conference for seeding purposes, and it would go a long way towards cementing us at a minimum of being the two seed. And Baltimore over Cleveland. Now, this is where scoreboard watching as a fan gets fun. It's games like this. It seems counterintuitive to root for a division leader playing a a team that's not in the playoffs. You'd think you'd want as much chaos as you can get inside the bracket. But if Baltimore wins and Cincy loses, the Bengals are already a game back in the division and don't have a tiebreaker. Giving Baltimore a two-game lead in the division could leave Cincy as a lock to have to travel as a wildcard team. That's awesome for Buffalo, considering that their offense, I don't know, road team wildcard and divisional round win percentage, and the fact that if we do have to play them, we want it to be here, don't you? Like, if you have to see Cincy, wouldn't you rather that be here in Buffalo? Absolutely. And then Tennessee over the Chargers. Now, I was rooting for the Chargers last week, just like we all were. But at this point, I'd be much happier running into Tennessee as a playoff team than L.A. Because if that defense gets healthy, you bring back a Bosa, a Derwin James, and that offense gets hot, they're a postseason upset waiting to happen to somebody, despite the work that their coach does to just stand in the way of progress and victory. Like, Brandon Staley stinks. That team should have should have signed Brian Dable. Can you imagine? Look at what he's doing with Daniel J- Daniel Jones is leading a, a winning football team, Chris. Yeah. The Dave, guy who white boy fell. Yeah, Dable would be do, do it a lot better if he was able to coach justin herbert jesus so those are our rooting interests that's our odds that's our conversation and that's our afc's roundup for the week i'm i'm thankful for everybody who does this please go and donate to our chair to our charity drive i just i like i said i just very much believe in this thing i'm I, again i'm very thankful for everybody who already has i'm just i want to try to use our platform to do something nice for people for once Instead of shitting all over them. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting soft because I have kids. Would you say that, Chris? Yeah. <sighs> Guys, this has been a lot of fun. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. <laughs>